Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The start of the 80s marks the end of the U.S.-Russia detente. I am entrusted with the security of the United States of America. But as the 70s come to an end, the reigning era of disco is still going strong. The palace where they all play and party into the night is legendary. Studio 54. You would look around and see the Prima Capote, Cher, Dolly Parton, Andy Warhol, Halston, Liza Minnelli. I danced with Margot Hemingway just because I was next to her on the dance floor. While Manhattan is the epicenter of disco, by 1978, kids in the suburbs don't need to line up outside Studio 54 to dance the night away. I think the reason that people started embracing disco was just because it was great music. And a lot of it was at gay clubs. Just north of Manhattan and Westchester County, the downtown areas are sprinkled with discos like the Playroom and Zippers. These clubs may not have been as glitzy as Studio 54, but they were places where young suburban gay kids just coming out of the closet could fit in and get down. And no one embraced that more than 21-year-old John Delia. John Delia was a gay man. John's been out from the day he was born. He never hid who he was. John feels right at home in the gay club scene in Westchester. He pretty much lived to dance and party. Growing up in Riverdale, a Bronx suburb just north of Manhattan, John showed an early passion for the stage. When John was a child, he liked dressing up and performing and entertaining, and his mother pretty much encouraged it. His father really didn't care for that. There was a much, much larger gay culture than there ever had been before. And John is drawn to it. His need to perform inevitably brings him to the stage, where he dazzles audiences with his breathtaking drag shows. By 1978, John is driving the audiences wild in regular performances at Zippers. His main character was Diana Ross. I feel, and a lot of people feel, Diana Ross is the ultimate entertainer. I mean, she just radiates sparkle. She has to have sequins in her blood. 
you'd swear that you were looking at Diana Ross. His costumes were great. I mean, he'd blind you if the lights hit him directly from all the sequins. He used to love to perform. He loved being on stage. I think he really loved the attention. On stage, John radiates confidence and success. But behind the scenes, he struggles with questions about his identity, especially when it comes to his gender. He was taking hormones when I met him. He didn't feel that he was a man. He should have never been a man. The hormones help him develop breasts and alter his appearance to look more feminine. He also goes under the knife for some minor plastic surgery. He was trying to make himself look like Diana Ross a little bit more. He had a nose job. He had his Adam's apple shaved. I actually have a picture of him holding up the Diana Ross album and showing his profile to the Diana Ross profile. In the midst of this transformation, in 1978, John meets Bobby Ferrara, an ex-Navy recruit who gets a job as a bartender at Zippers. He was a very nice-looking gentleman, and he had that personality that brought everybody in. And I think John was just very drawn to him. John was doing a show, and Bob was bartending, and the rest is history. <laughs> it's a classic case of opposites attract. Bobby was more of a conservative person, whereas John, he was very out there. But in this era, being out there still comes with some risks. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, you couldn't walk down the street arm in arm with your partner. You'd get beat up. I remember one time standing on a corner at the playroom, a carload of people came by screaming all kinds of obscenities at the people standing on the corner outside the club. They'd yell out, queer, queer. They were throwing bottles and stuff like that. It wasn't a cool time to be yourself. You kind of had to hide it. But John isn't willing to hide his love for Bobby. John Delia was very much in love with Bobby, and you could just tell because John spoke about Bobby all the time. And John has big plans for their future. He used to tell me, it's the love of my life, I'm going to marry him someday. But like many passionate love affairs, jealousy soon creeps in. They argued about people hitting on Bob. John didn't like that. And Bob's like, I'm a bartender. I got to flirt with the people or I don't make money. Their tumultuous love affair is cut short when soon after meeting, Navy military police show up. Bob got arrested because he was AWOL from the service. They took him to prison in California. Devastated, John can't bring himself to move on. He wasn't out looking for anyone else. Even while Bob was in prison, he was still in love with Bob. He was um, still doing his shows, living life to the fullest that he could. And that's where he met Robin. One night, 22-year-old Robin Arnold drives up to the entrance at Zippers. When Robin pulled up, she had a Cadillac. And as she got out of the car and she was walking into the club, John said to Robin, it must be very nice driving around in Daddy's Cadillac. And she was like, no, no, darling, it's my car. Right then and there, they became really good friends. Spunky, attractive, and rich. Robin is used to getting whatever she wants. Robin came from a wealthy 
prominent family in medicine in New York City, and Robin herself pursued medicine by becoming a nurse. To Robin, John represents everything she isn't, edgy, adventurous, and living on the fringe. They hit it off, and she becomes a mainstay in his group of friends. She connected right away with John. Not long after meeting, Robin starts thinking of John as more than a friend. I think she was infatuated with him completely. The feeling is mutual. For the first time in his life, John is smitten with a woman. He and Robin soon become inseparable. Wherever John was, you would see Robin. She would stay over. She'd be in his room. They would come out giggling. John's friends are surprised by the new love in his life. But the real shock comes when he tells them he's decided that he doesn't want to become a woman after all. He did stop taking hormones. He wanted to stop the process. He really wasn't sure what he wanted. Bob was gone. Robin's in the picture. Do I want to be alone? Do I want to have a relationship? Uh, he, he was very confused, I think, at that point. As 1980 kicks off, things get serious between Robin and John. She rented a place in the Century Towers in Riverdale, and he moved in with her, and they lived there together. I found out that they were making plans to get married. And while John may be giving up on becoming a woman, he isn't giving up on his career as a drag performer. And Robin was very invested in John's performance career also. She was buying outfits for him. Like John, Robin's on her own identity quest, and it seems like she's found it in their unlikely partnership. John was always the center of attention. He was like a magnet. Everybody wanted to be around him. When she was with John, she was also a center of attention. But I think John needed that one person that would idolize him, make him their center. So together, they like fed off each other. But sometimes, you know, when you got too close to the fire, it could burn you. When Bob was released and came back, everything changed. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. In the winter of 1980, the party's over at Studio 54 when the owners are arrested for tax evasion. But the disco scene is still going strong in Westchester. And Robin Arnold is thrilled to be at the center of it. She and John Delia are engaged and living together. Then, Bobby Ferrara, John's ex-boyfriend, is released from military prison and returns to Westchester. He was in the Navy, and he had did some time for going AWOL. He was dishonorably discharged. John never fell out of love with Bob. As soon as Bob came back, John told her, I want to go back with Bob. Robin soon finds herself sidelined. Back in 1980, when I think there wasn't as much knowledge about gay people in general, Robin might have thought she could change John. It's not unusual. There are other straight women that have got involved with gay men thinking they can change them. Robin realizes she can't compete with the love that John and Bobby share. But Robin doesn't run off to nurse her wounds. Instead, unwilling to be out of John's life altogether, she becomes the couple's third wheel. She wasn't thrilled with the fact that she was losing her fiancé, the person who she turned straight. But she tried to stay in the picture. She was under the assumption, well, if I can't have him, I'll be his friend, his best girlfriend. And in order to do that, she embraces a close friendship with Bobby as well. All three of them become really close. It's like it was just weird. I mean, John was spending most of his private time with Bob, but John was still living with Robin. Bob was there all the time. And they were a trio. Wherever one went, the other two went along. But things between John and Bobby don't exactly go back to the way they were before Bobby left. They become even more complicated. The biggest problem they were having was that Bob was claiming that he wasn't totally gay and he wanted to be with a woman at that point. 
And I think John's thinking was, well, if I'm a woman, he might be more attracted to me. It rekindles John's desire to transition into a woman. John begins taking the hormones again, but this time, he decides to take it a step further. Gender reassignment surgery was kind of in its infancy at that point in time. It wasn't very common at all, not like today. The way was paved by Christine Jorgensen, who was the first woman in the U.S. to undergo a successful gender reassignment surgery. Christine hit the headlines following the series of operations in Denmark that transformed her from a boy into a girl. But in 1980, it's rare, risky, and not cheap. But once again, Robin offers to help. Robin paid for the operation. She thought it was best for John, and she was trying to help him. After the grueling surgery and a few weeks of recovery, John returns from the hospital, changed. He is now officially and forever a she. And to pay homage to her favorite diva, Diana Ross, she rechristens herself as Diane. She looked gorgeous. It worked. It worked for him. He was really attractive. At this point now, Diane was ecstatic with her new surgery, her lady parts. She was so proud of it, very proud of it. Diane finds new confidence and work in her new skin. She's soon hired as a model for the most American and traditional of brands. Diane did one advertisement for Avon, and Diane was standing there looking absolutely fantastic. Nobody could have told that she was transgender. Diane is just as glowing when in August 1981, she and Bobby tie the knot as husband and wife. Right by their side, as always, is Robin, who even helps Bobby buy the ring. She gave Robert $1,400 to buy an engagement ring. Diane always said, I'm going to marry him someday, no matter what I have to do. And he did it. <laughs> and the new couple moves in together. But marital bliss does not last long. Not even two months later, when the honeymoon phase wears off, Diane and Bobby begin bickering again. I think they both thought by John becoming Diane, it would fix everything but it didn't. Sexual relations was their biggest problem because Bob decided uh, he wasn't finding her as attractive physically, wasn't piquing his interest, shall we say. And he started to look at guys again. Diane is crushed. She acts out and he retaliates. They would start doing things like playing up to other people to make each other jealous. Diane would play up to other guys. Bob would do the same. They'd have an argument about it. One would storm off, usually Bob. That's when the relationship started to deteriorate. As her relationship with Bobby falls apart, Diane spends even more time with Robin. Even after the sex change operation, Diane and Robin still maintained a very close friendship. Robin treated Diane now like they were girlfriends for life but I think she was still in love with the idea of John. Diane begins to pursue straight single men and quickly finds that Robin and she are going after the same guys, causing tension between the close friends. 
Robin and Diane were very competitive. Diane would meet somebody, Robin would always intervene. In September 1981, as Diane and Bobby drift further apart, she meets some new straight friends at the club. Robert Vasquez, an auto parts salesman, and Laura Schultz, a makeup artist. Robert Vasquez was a gentleman that Diane met at Zippers. Laura became part of this group that hung out at Zippers. She starts hanging out with them right as things with Bobby are coming to a head. Finally, Diane decides to stop living the nightmare that has become her marriage to Bobby. Diane actually moved out and moved back in with Robin. And their new acquaintances agree to lend a hand. After they finish unloading boxes, the group sits down for a bite to eat and a lot to drink. Soon, Diane and Robin focus their attention on one of their new friends. Robert Vasquez was good-looking, good-looking guy. And Diane was interested, and anything Diane wanted, Robin wanted. At one point, he feels Diane Delia's hand on one of his knees and Robin Arnold's hand on the other knee. This makes him very uncomfortable, and he actually gets up and goes into the bathroom so he can extricate himself from the situation. The competition is on. Robin makes the next move. He had an encounter with Robin Arnold where she begins actually flashing him. Robin corners Vasquez in her room and begins to change in front of him. She begins telling him that her vagina is real and that Diane's is fake. Not to be outdone, Diane flirts with Laura Schultz. Diane was making a play for uh, Laura. She was new to the group, so she swallowed that right up. The next morning, Robin catches Laura and Diane in an intimate moment. Robin walks in on Diane Delia and Laura Schultz. She sees them together. This upsets Robin quite a bit. Robin got mad. Why are you with her? Robin didn't want Diane with anyone else. It was just a jealousy thing. It was a big game, bad game. Three days after Diane moves in with Robin, tensions are at an all-time high. Diane's now on the outs with her husband and her best friend. She comes to her friend Gary with a request. That evening, Diane came by my home and asked me if she could stay with me. Diane tells Gary she has to go out that night. I was like, why? What's going on? She goes, I can't explain now, but when I get back, can I stay with you for a couple of weeks? And I was like, yeah, sure. She leaves the apartment around 7.30, dressed up in a pair of purple pants, tank top, and lavender suede heels. And that was the last I saw of her. It's been three weeks since Diane Delia was last seen leaving her friend Gary Santisario's apartment. New York City police from the 10th Precinct respond to an emergency call. The patrol sergeant had called the precinct and requested detectives respond to 28th Street in Hudson River. A body was found floating in the Hudson River. Detective Donald Longo arrives at the scene to investigate. A body had just been removed from the water and he wanted help with the search and the examination. The body was out of the water, wrapped in a blanket. I recall it, the color being yellow tied with a rope. The head area where the blanket was, was stained. Apparently she had a head wound somewhere. The woman is dressed for an evening out, but something's missing. 
She had no shoes, no jewelry, no wallet, no identification at all. Further investigation of the blanket uncovers more clues. Inside the blanket, there was grass clippings and twigs and burrs and so on from the, from the ground where the blanket had been. The presence of the twigs and grass clippings suggests the killing happened in a wooded area. The police send the body to a medical examiner's office for identification. The cause of death is also noted. When the body was autopsied by the medical examiner, it was found that the cause of death was four gunshot wounds to the back of the head. The autopsy also reveals a small tattoo on the victim's arm. She had on her left shoulder a bunny tattoo. I added that information to the missing persons report. And they make a rare discovery. After the autopsy results were filed, it was clear that at one time, although a woman now, at one time it had been a male. Police start their investigation in the neighborhood where the body washed up, near 12th Avenue and 28th Street. We started canvassing our own area, which was with female impersonators or drag queens. They were prostitutes. They would walk the streets around 12th Avenue. There was known for that area. The body of a transgender person washing ashore in an area known for female impersonators and prostitutes seems like no coincidence. If you find the body of a dead trans woman in the Hudson, chances are somebody angry, drunk, violent, maybe ripped them off, robbed them raped them, did God knows what, and threw them in the river. Her death is eerily similar to the plot of a recent Al Pacino movie, Cruising. Gay men targeted by a serial killer are washing up on the banks of the Hudson. And in 1981, the same year the AIDS virus is identified in the U.S., a backlash against homosexuality is on the rise across the country. I think homosexuality is moral perversion with crusaders like Reverend Jerry Falwell leading the charge. This is the early 80s, and there was no specific designation by NYPD in the patrol guide or anywhere else that uh, this was going to be investigated as some sort of hate crime. But before police can understand the motive of the killer, first, they must identify the body. We checked with the other precincts. They had no information at all. They figure their best bet it's the drag queen community in New York City. They had their own newspaper on the west side, and they put an article in there to try and help us identify him. And just a week after Diane went missing, Gary gets a call. Robin and Bobby are together, searching for Diane. Bob and Robin were like, we can't find Diane. We don't know where she is. She disappeared. She was mad, and she took off. You know how she is. She gets mad, and she disappears for a few days. Gary hasn't seen Diane since she left on October 7th. And to be perfectly honest with you, I didn't really think anything of it because Diane had done some crazy things in her past when she wanted someone's attention. I just thought it was one of those things. But when he hears that Bobby and Robin haven't seen her either, worry turns to panic. So that's when they all decided to call the police and report her as a missing person. Robin reports Diane missing on October 17th to Yonkers police. But the news doesn't filter down to Manhattan. Nobody knows where to look for her. We'd all go to Robin's apartment and hang out, and we just sat there and waited patiently. Weeks pass before Diane's worried friends hear any news. But then, in late November, the article that Detective Longo had placed in the local drag queen newsletter in Manhattan makes its way to Yonkers. Friends see the notice in the paper, and one specific detail stands out. 
There was a picture of the body from the shoulders down with the bunny tattoo. And once we saw that, we all knew who it was. Finally, Detective Longo gets the call he's been waiting for. A young lady named Robin Arnold had come to the morgue to identify the body. Robin is horrified, but she confirms that it is indeed Diane. Diane's friends are in shock. Their hopes that she had run off on a whim are dashed. She's identified, and we all went back to Robin's apartment, and everybody was like, we can't believe it. I was a mess. She had nowhere to go but up. And it, it's, it's sad to think that that was extinguished. With the body identified, detectives now must figure out who wanted Diane Delia dead. Police immediately begin to question those close to Diane, starting with her husband, Bobby. Visibly distraught, Bobby tells Detective Longo about the last time he saw Diane on October 7th. He told me they had had an argument and there was quite a bit of jealousy between them. He was in love with her, but they just couldn't get along. Every day there was an argument about something. Their relationship was not, not building, it was getting worse. I asked Bobby about his wife being without shoes, identification, and jewelry. He didn't know anything why she'd be without shoes. A wedding ring was missing. I asked Bobby where the ring was, and he said to me, boy, if I knew, I would tell you, because if you find the ring, you're gonna find out who killed my wife. The statement sticks with Detective Longo. He puts out an APB to City Pawn Shop to let authorities know if someone tries to pawn a wedding ring. Next, police speak with Robin. And then we worked our way through that Robin was previously engaged to this person when he was a man. She paid for the operation. She gave Bobby $1,400 to buy an engagement ring. She was a friend of Robert's also, and they were a trio. She seemed to be a genuine person who cared for them. Meanwhile, Robin and Bobby seek solace in each other's company. He moved out, and he moved in with Robin at that point. Bobby and Robin had always been connected through Diane, but it seems her death has brought them even closer. Obviously, Bobby was very affected by Diane's death. They needed to be with each other because it was comforting to gather when such a tragedy had occurred. While Diane's former lovers grieve together under one roof, police continue to come up empty-handed in their search for Diane's killer. We were at a totally dead end. We covered every lead we could. We interviewed every person we could and we still didn't have enough evidence to charge anybody. But all of a sudden, in early December of 1981, detectives get their first big break in the case. You'll remember that the body was found without any shoes on. Weeks after Diane Delia's body is discovered floating in the Hudson River, investigators are no closer to unraveling the mystery of her murder. Then her friend Gary comes across a critical clue. I was at Robin's home one evening with a few other people, and we were going through the closet where all Diane's costumes and things were. Something in the closet catches his eye. I found her lavender pumps in the closet. When they found the body, her body was missing her lavender suede pumps. That's where I started to get a little suspicious. Hiding his suspicions from Robin, 
Gary decides to smuggle the pumps out of Robin's house to show them to detectives. Well, at some point, Gary called me and he said he had some information. They make plans to meet at a local diner that the group used to frequent regularly. He told me that he saw a pair of purple shoes that matched the clothing that Diane was found in, and he saw them shoes in Robin's house recently. He was sure that they were hers. Uh, he remembered them, the styles. She didn't, never had two pair that were identical. He also tells detectives he noticed something missing from Robin's house, a yellow blanket. On Robin's bed, there was always a yellow blanket folded at the foot of the bed. I remembered that blanket because the satin seam with the zigzag stitching. So when the police found the body, it was wrapped in a yellow satin blanket. Other than Gary's story about the purple shoes and blanket, detectives have no evidence to connect Robin to Diane's death. But after meeting with Gary at the Click's local diner, Detective Longo notices something. The diner is next door to a pawn shop. He remembers that Bobby Ferrara told him that if you find the ring, you find that who got rid of the ring, you'll have a good suspect. We have to check on that pawn shop. That's too close to where these people hang out. The detective enters the pawn shop and shows the owner a replica of the ring. He asks him if anybody had pawned something like this uh, recently. The owner takes a good look at the ring. The pawn shop owner indicated that he had, uh, yes, that he recalled the specific ring. In order to figure out who originally sold him the ring, the detective shows the owner pictures of Diane's friends and former lovers. Detective Longo then showed him pictures of uh, Bobby Ferrara. Bobby. He knew him. He came in and sold the ring to him. Could Diane's killer have been right under their noses the whole time? I went back and tried to get a hold of Bobby, but he was amongst the missing. It's just another day at the 10th Precinct when Detective Longo finds himself in an interrogation room with a man who says he has a tip. The man says he has information about the death of Diane Delia. He was friends with Bobby Ferrara. His name is Dominic Giorgio. He's a friend of Bobby's and has known him for a few years. After Diane's death, he tells Longo, he started spending more time with Bobby, often hanging out with him and Robin at her apartment. And one day, while watching an episode of General Hospital at her place, he heard something disturbing. He actually heard Robin indicate that she was involved in, in killing Diane. He heard Robin say, I killed Diane. Dominic tells police he didn't know what to do. But soon after, he was able to get his friend, Bobby, alone. And finally, Bobby broke down and confessed to him what had happened the night of October 7th, 1981. Dominic convinced Bobby Farrar to write this down. And his written confession describes Diane's death in great detail. He claims that he convinced Diane to go for a drive with him to discuss their relationship and then meet up with Robin later that night. They tell her they found something in the woods that she may want to see. He states that he and uh, Robin lured Diane into the woods. According to Bobby, he and Diane were walking next to each other. Robin was in the rear. They got to where they were going, so it's a small park underneath the Tappan Zee Bridge where people docked their boats. And uh, at that point, Robin pulled out the gun and shot Diane in the head, twice. According to Bobby's confession, after Robin shoots Diane, 
Bobby takes the gun from her. Bobby didn't know if she was dead, but he shot her twice more. He shot the other two shots because the body was twitching. He didn't want Diane to suffer. Bobby says after the murder, they left Diane's body bleeding in the woods. Days later, Bobby confesses he returned to the scene, wrapped the body in the yellow blanket, and dumped it into the Hudson. We had a confession from Bobby Ferrara. We had Bobby Ferrara pointing the ring. We had witnesses that had seen the missing yellow blanket that was identical to the blanket that the body was wrapped in uh, and connected to Robin Arnold. We had the purple pumps. We felt that that was enough, that we should, at this point, make the arrests, and the arrests were made. On January 21st, 1982, Bobby Ferrara is arrested for the murder of his wife, Diane Delia. The following day, Robin shares the same fate. The case goes to trial in September of 1982. This is a weird one even by New York standards. After the victim had a sex change operation and became a woman, he, now she, married the male defendant in the case. The defendants were indicted together on the same indictment for murder in the second degree of Diane Delia. They were represented separately. They could not have the same attorney. Robin's attorney was Michael Rosen. Robin had the high-priced attorney. The defendants allegedly lured the victim to a wooded area north of New York City. Robin and Bobby sit silently through the trial, offering no reactions and no concrete motives for the inexplicable crime. During the trial, the state asserts that Bobby killed Diane out of anger and jealousy. He couldn't live without her, but he didn't want her to be with anyone else. So he had to get rid of her once and for all. And he realized Robin shared his anger and frustration with Diane. Just days before she goes missing, the prosecution describes how Diane and Robin had fought for the attention of Robert Vasquez. He may have been one of the catalysts for Robin's jealousy, both he and Laura Schultz. She sees that Laura Schultz is now becoming involved with Diane. Now Robin felt that, listen, if she's going to become involved with any woman, it should be me and not someone else. I'm the one that supported her down the line, and I'm the one that should be uh, the one close to her. Friends and spectators have their own speculations about Robin. I bought you this, I bought you this. Now I have got to be involved in your life. Robin was in love, she was obsessed. She wanted this person, she wanted to change this person, and she couldn't do it, so she killed her. Robin's attorney paints a different picture. The defense attorney for Robin Arnold says his client simply didn't do it. The prosecution has no proof she did. Robin's attorney based his whole case on her being the poor little rich girl, got mixed up with the wrong crowd. Bob was portrayed as a jealous husband. He concocted the whole story. Uh, it was all his doing. It was a jealousy thing. He didn't want her with anyone else. When Dominic Giorgio takes the stand to testify that he overheard Robin talking about killing Diane, Rosen has a clever argument. Mr. Rosen introduced a general hospital, the, the TV soap opera. The episode was from December 8, 1981, and aired right around the time Dominic had claimed to overhear Robin's confession. An actress can be heard clearly saying, <laughs> I love Diane Taylor and I killed her. Rosen's suggestion to the jury was that what was overheard was not Robin saying this, but what was overheard was what was being said on the television. 
The astonishing two-week trial ends on October 6, 1982. It takes another four days for the six-man, six-woman jury to reach a verdict. The jury found Robert Ferrara guilty of murder in the second degree and found Robin Arnold not guilty of all charges. Bobby is sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. Who knows if the jurors made the right call? Who knows if they both were guilty? Perhaps it was just Bobby and Robin deserved to go free. I don't know why. I, to this day, I, I don't know why. I don't know what the real truth reason was. I've contacted Bob a few times when he was in prison. I went there to see him to try to find out why, and I just couldn't do it. Robin went on to get married and raise a family. Bobby did his time in prison and was released in 2008. In a decade that would be defined by dramatic changes in gay communities and sensational trials in the media, Diane Delia's case stood out. But the realities of the Diane Delia homicide were more than just tabloid headlines. Well, one of the fascinating things about this case is it's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. It's not hater victim. These are people who supposedly loved her. These are people who were in her life. So it doesn't fall into the usual morality tale that we like to tell about how horrible it is to have haters pick on the LGBT. It's much deeper than that. It's much sadder than that. I want people to remember what a good person she was. Wherever she went, she was a star. She was a magnificent person. I'll never forget her. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.